On this episode of This Week in Linux, we've got a couple birthdays to celebrate, with one being the Linux kernel itself, and also Valve's Steamplay or Proton project. IBM announced some great news regarding their open source efforts for power. UbiPorts announced OTA 10 of Ubuntu Touch. The Pinebook Pro public pre-orders have arrived. Dell announced their new Linux-powered XPS laptop. And NVIDIA has some new beta drivers that seem very promising. Then we'll check out some app news with a new AMD GPU settings tool, an APK downloader for Linux, and a slick way to create your own Electron desktop apps. Later in the show, we've got some new distro releases from Netrunner and EasyOS. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanel with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux GNU's. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for one month for free with a $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. Again, you can start on DigitalOcean with that $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Also, a quick note, I'm going to be launching some new stuff pretty soon for the channel that will be utilizing DigitalOcean. So, you know, thanks again for that because DigitalOcean makes it possible to make these things work. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to let you all see what it is. Hopefully pretty soon. A first in the show this week are some birthdays that we want to celebrate. And first of all, the Linux kernel itself. And that is actually kind of interesting because it's a little bit debated about what the actual birthday is. So I will probably mention this again in the next time there's the, the birth, next birthday that happens. But anyway, uh, the, the first, the, the thing is that there's actually like four different dates that could be associated as the birth date of Linux. And Linus Torvalds doesn't really care about which one is which, like what is the actual birth date. And he kind of says that there's two that have a potential like valid point to be the birthday. So for example, the August 25th birth uh, date of 1991 was the time where he sent the mailing list post about him making this project. And also September 17th, 1991 was the first public release of the Linux kernel, which I believe was 0.2. And it's uh, so either one of those could technically be the birth date, depending on your perspective. I like to just celebrate both because I think Linux as, as a project and as the kernel and as the like, it's such an important project in general. I'm OK if it has two birthdays. So I think the, the the impact and the amount of great stuff that has come from this project, you know, two birthdays is OK with me. But also another project that's fantastic and has its birthday recently was actually this, I mean, this week was a few days ago, was the Proton project or the Steamplay project from Valve. Now, Proton was the code name for this project, and Steamplay is the more broad term that Valve uses. And the reason why they named it Proton is because they wanted to create a project that they could still work open source, but kind of work in like a little bit of a mystery because the word Proton doesn't really mean anything in terms of this kind of thing. So they chose it so that it was kind of like a generic term that would be 
hard to guess what it was. It was still in the open in the development, but at the same time, it was a little obscured. Um, but they released it on August 21st of last year. And what's crazy is that it's only been one year and there's been so much that's happened. So when they first released it, I think there was like 11 games that were on that list. Maybe a little more, but I'm, I think it was 11. So then now let's fast forward to one year from that, which was in you know this recent time. And they now have over 5,900 games that work in some way. So, like, for example, there's a different rating system in uh, Proton. So there's uh, ProtonDB.com is a great website because they keep track of what games are working. People can submit reviews and they can get ratings heading on this game. And then, like, collective, as the community tests everything out, we kind of find out what is working and what isn't. So this is an awesome website. It actually started as a Google spreadsheet, I think, uh, and it eventually grew into this fantastic site that has a lot of potential and uh, like has so many benefits to it and everything. Um, so anyway, you can actually connect your Steam account to your Proton account, and it will tell you what games you have. It it's really cool website. But moving on from that, the games that are available in the rating system are five thousand nine hundred. Now the different rating systems are platinum, gold, silver, and bronze. There's also borked, but that doesn't really matter because that just means it doesn't work at all. So bronze means it kind of works depending on your hardware and if you have some certain um, like flags set in the game and that kind of thing. There's like many workarounds so it can kind of work. And that's there's 400 of those games. Then there's silver, which is slightly better. It's less of a headache to do and it doesn't have to have less specific hardware and that kind of thing. And you have 750 games of that. Then there's gold, which is ba- basically works mostly and there might be a little bit of a thing that you have to do, but most of the time it just works. And that's 1,160 games. And then we get into the platinum level, the platinum rating. That's 1,129 games. And that rating means that the game just boots. You you buy it, you install the game, and it just runs through Proton without any extra effort. And that is ridiculous because we go from one, uh, 11, one list that's 11 on the day that they release it. I think it might have been more than that, but I don't remember. I think it was 11. And now we have 1,129 games that are platinum rating on Proton TV. That is awesome. You know, that's awesome. Anyway, let's move on because, you know, this is a great, you should go check out the website for Proton DB as well if you are any interested in gaming at all. It's really cool, all the stuff that you can do on that site. Um, so, yeah, let's move on. Up next in the show is some really great news from the UbiPorts team, and that is Ubuntu Touch OTA 10 has been released. Now, if you're not aware, Ubuntu Touch is a operating system, a Linux mobile operating system that was originally created by Canonical, the people who make Ubuntu, and it was eventually decided that they wouldn't want to fund the development of Ubuntu Touch anymore because it wasn't it was taking costing way too much money and it wasn't becoming what they wanted it to be so they decided to stop funding it however they did open source everything so the community decided to pick it up specifically the uh, ubiports community decided to pick it up and start developing it themselves because they were already doing a lot of development on it anyway so it kind of made sense of them to just you know take it over and make their own version of it they still call it ubuntu touch and that's why there's a little bit of a weird terminology for that um, if you're not aware, because it's you know 
it's technically from Canonical originally, but no longer is a part of Canonical. Uh, and the UbiPorts team now run it. And it is quite a good uh, thing that this happened because they have made a lot of cool changes. Now, I mean, because they're such a small team, they can't do as fast a development that Canonical could have, but they are doing a lot of great things and listening to the community, great. So it's a lot of cool stuff that is coming. And there's actually things that I'm excited for the next release or maybe a future release anyway. Uh, I'll get to that in a minute. But the thing that happened in OTA 10, these are a lot of stuff that was like, there's a lot of development in this, includes many small fixes that should please all users, like some of those stuff being hardware compatibility improvements for like the Nexus 5, the Fairphone 2, and the OnePlus One. I actually have Ubuntu Touch OTA 10 on my OnePlus One right here, and I think OnePlus One is the best phone for Ubuntu Touch at the moment. So if you wanted to try out Ubuntu Touch, I would say get the OnePlus One because it's a pretty powerful phone while also being fairly cheap. You can get it for like $50 and stuff or maybe even less depending on where you get it from. Uh, like Swappa is a website that has like, um, they have like certified devices. I'm not really sure how they certify them, but you can get a phone from them for like $75 uh, or so. And they supposedly have them certified that they work and stuff. I got this from a friend, so it's not it wasn't any remotely that cost. Um, actually, it was technically free because they gave it to me. But whatever, I put uh, a bunch of touch on here, and it is a uh, fantastic, um, fantastic OS. There are some issues with it. it's not it's not for everybody, but I do like it quite a bit. So if you are interested, definitely check that out. Uh, I'll have a link in the show notes to Swappa as well as the uh, Ubuntu Touch and UbiPorts website. But that's not that's not everything. I wanted to you know before we move on. There's also some improvements to the Fairphone 2 camera orientation because there was this issue where you take a photo and then for some reason the photo would be in a different orientation where you hold the phone. So you hold the phone horizontally, it would have a vertical photo, which is not ideal, of course. Uh, and they also uh, fixed some stuff that I think is very important, even for people who have one of the better phones, the OnePlus One, and that is because there was an issue where when you record a video, these audio would be out of sync with the video sometimes. Well, most of the time, really. Uh, they have now fixed that, so the devices, the audio and the camera and the video will be in sync, which is fantastic because that is important, and I'm happy to hear that. So more on that and more other stuff that's coming. And I, I, there's a, there are some issues with some uh, Wi-Fi-based Wi-Fi geolocation tool being uh, uh, removed. Um, they actually did that because there were some weird issues with sometimes the location data would be super fast and sometimes it would be completely inaccurate. So they decided to move it and look at experimental options. Or they're, they're experimenting with other solutions to see if they can find a better replacement. So right now there's a little bit of an issue about location information. So you need to check out the blog post if you do want to check it out and, you, and, and GPS stuff really matters to you. So I'll have that linked in the show notes as well. Um, but what's really cool is that you can see in this this version of the device, this is the OTA-10, and you can see this is the uh, scopes. This is the scope system that Ubuntu or Canonical created. And it's pretty cool. It works. I like some of it. I think you slide, you slide from the right, and it gives you these different options, and you open another app, and it kind of has like these little, they're like hidden behind each other, and you just kind of pick which one you want. Um, but it also has this other thing that by the way if you're listening to the audio version i'm sorry there's a lot of visual things that i'm showing in this particular episode um I'm, i hope i'm kind of saying them all verbally as well but anyway I'll, after this and i'll move on but you'll see this uh slide out panel right here 
this is actually a really cool feature that I don't use because it's not it's actually slower than just doing this and going back to all of them like if I'm doing if I want another application I can just do that and go back to all of them so it's actually slower and it doesn't really make any sense while that's there however it's because there's no desktop on, or home screen on the OS the in a future release they're actually going to have a desktop and I saw a demonstration of it on Destination Linux when we had Dalton Durst on for an interview and he demonstrated the uh, the new desktop that they're working on and it looks pretty slick so I can't wait to see that anyway well try that out anyway and uh, yeah so speaking of which we had Dalton Durst on on uh, Destination Linux episode 135 to talk about UB ports and Ubuntu Touch. So if you are interested in more about this particular topic, I'll have a link to the, in the show notes to all the things I've talked about, including the episode to Destination Linux to watch that interview if you would like to. So link in the show notes. Up next in the show are some more things that I'm excited about, and that is the stuff from Pine64. So first of all, the Pinebook Pro public pre-order has arrived and quickly sold out. So unfortunately, this is a, this is a fantastic thing, and I'm, I'm looking forward to trying out. I guess I already have mine on pre-order, so I can't wait to try it out. And uh, hopefully it comes as soon as possible because I can't wait. But also, in the, in the meantime, they are doing pre- these public pre-orders, and they, they actually they, re- they announced it in literally like, 12 hours later or so, something like that, they were sold out. So unfortunately, I didn't able to get you to let you know in time if you were interested in checking it out, uh, but they will be doing another public pre-order in a couple of weeks in like mid-September. So if you are interested in it, you should definitely check that out. There's a way, I think you can subscribe to like getting notifi- notified or you can just follow them on Twitter to get notified when they announce it because they also announced it on Twitter. So another thing that's really cool about this company is I was already a fan of Pine64 because I actually have, sorry, I had to lean over away from the mic to get this. I actually have a Pinebook original. So this is the, you know, Pine64, and this is the Pinebook. Again, I'm sorry for the audio listeners um, because this is also another visual thing. But I'll just describe it as best I can. So you can see the Pinebook is actually a really nice looking laptop. It has uh, a fairly decent keyboard. It's not the best, but when you consider the price, it's free. it's really awesome, really, uh, in comparison. Uh, also, the touchpad is pretty nice and big, and it's really re- responsive, and I think it has support for two, for multi-touch. I, mean, I think it's two touches, but I'm not sure the actual total. It has a 1080p uh, just display. It has a webcam and a microphone, and it has support for uh, USB. It's got a micro SD card slot, which is also bootable. You can boot with that. And it has an HDMI port. So this is a ridiculously cool product because it's only $100. It's already awesome, but it's also $100. It's pretty good. Even for more than that, it's still pretty good. Now, What's crazy is the new Pinebook Pro is going to be even better than that one, and it's going to be only $199 or $200. Uh, Well, that doesn't count shipping and stuff, and you have to go through customs if you live in a country that requires that. So sorry about that part. But it is a really cool device, and I can't wait to get the new one because that looks like it's going to be even better than this one. 
and I'm excited. So, if that wasn't enough, the reason why these these things are so cheap is because the people who develop it are very interested in helping the open source community and helping the Linux community and just want to give back to those communities because they um, they don't they're they're not doing it for the profit. In fact, they're even giving away some of the profits in general. So they actually they, like this is like pretty much at cost as well as the new Pinebook Pro is also pretty much at cost and the new Pine Phone. That's coming out. They're also making a Pine Tab as well, which I can't wait. I'm going to get all of them because at this point I've kind of become a fanboy, especially because of the stuff that they're doing to give back to the community in the sense that not only just the prices, but also they're doing like an altruistic thing where they're donating the profits of certain things. Like, for example, when you uh, like the the Pine phone is at a, is a really low price and they only make about a $10 profit on the phones. But they've also decided to just take those all the $10 profits and give them back to the community. And they're doing it in various different ways. Like they're going to give it back to the different uh, operating systems that were coming on the Pine phone in, a, in, in an interesting approach of like different batches and stuff. And they'll have that. Uh, they, I'll have a full, I'll just link to the article that talks about this stuff in the show notes because there's a lot of different things and I, it's hard to describe exactly how they're doing it without reading exactly what they say because they're doing it to, um, for example, um, if you buy a phone at a given time for a specific batch, you might have an OS that isn't, wasn't on a previous batch, but you can, you can swap out the OS to whatever one that supports the phone anyway. So it doesn't really matter when you buy it, you can use whatever you want. That's one of the cool things about the Pine Phone, but they're going to be giving a percentage of the, the they're giving well all of it, all the profit to these these uh, projects, as well as allowing the community to decide with like a you know like a code when you check out where you want to send the your the money to, and that's another really cool thing. So anyway, they're, they're every time they announce something, I just get more and more excited about this company because they're doing such good stuff and their products are really interesting. And they're also doing this thing where they're giving back so much. Uh, yeah, I'm a fan. I admit it. I'm a fan and I can't wait to try out the other stuff. Uh, I will definitely be trying out all of it. So I'll make, I'll probably make a video demonstrating. Actually, I'll probably make, I should make a video like reviewing this thing before the new one comes out because then I'll make another one for them. Anyway, I'll do that. So what's another cool thing about it is that they're very upfront about their products, like the the laptop and the the phone and stuff. They're upfront about it. So if you go to buy the Pinebook Pro, they say we don't make we, we make no profit from selling these units. If you think that a minor dissatisfaction such as a dead pixel will prompt you to file a PayPal dispute, then please do not purchase the Pinebook Pro. So they're not trying to make money, they're trying to make a product that is accessible and is basically they even say this in their article or their blog post about how they're trying to help remove the digital divide or the digital gap. And that's just fantastic. And I, and I, and I totally understand the fact that they're not making a lot of money off it. It's not really for a profit thing. They're doing it for uh, trying to give back to the community and trying to make it possible for people who can't afford really expensive devices to get good devices. So I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I think, I think I've said that a few times now. So let's move on, I guess. (laughs) So there's some great news from IBM, and that is that they are open sourcing the Power ISA. So if you're not aware, Power is an architecture that was built by IBM, 
and the ISA is the instruction set architecture and also they're, they're open sourcing their the key hardware reference designs and some other stuff uh, regarding the so that people can use it for uh, what's really cool is also it's patent inclusive so it means that if you decide to use the power ISA to for like a, an enterprise company wanting to create a product using it they can do so without any cost it's royalty free including patents so they don't have to worry about being uh, sued for using it and all this other stuff it's super awesome because they actually did uh, they are they started the open power foundation in 2013 but it wasn't really fully open it was it was just kind of open but now they have announced that the power ISA is fully open and you can use it however you see fit and that is awesome it, I mean there's so many there's so much power in well pardon the pun there's so much power in the fact that the open source architectures are getting bigger and bigger so we already have the uh, risk 5 architecture and it's a fully open source uh, architecture and we're now we're gonna get the power system which is from IBM which is awesome so uh, there's going to be a lot of cool things that are probably coming from this, but I think the majority of the, of the space that they're working on is more of an enterprise stuff, and I don't think they're looking at maybe uh, competing in the consumer level with Intel and stuff like that, but I do think they are uh, trying to do like an enterprise or even a smaller device thing, um, depending on different versions of the architecture. So like AI, servers, firmware, deep learning, that kind of thing. I'm pretty sure that's what they're going for. That would kind of make the most sense about what IPM's positioned for. So there's going to be like a battle against uh, ARM and RISC-V and that kind of thing. But uh, it's still awesome that they're doing this because there's a lot of potential. And they're also um, changing it so that the, the, um, the Open Power Foundation is going to be rolled into the Linux Foundation. So, or like folded into it. So like the, the Open Power Foundation no longer exists. And instead the Linux Foundation will be controlling, or not really controlling, but like managing the aspects of the openness of of uh, the power architecture, so that's pretty interesting too. I think this is um, I think this is a lot of potential because it makes it where open hardware is becoming more and more important, and this proves that. And I think I think it has the potential to convince other companies to do stuff like this, at least a little bit of openness, uh, you know, because a lot there's a lot of companies that do that create a lot of great hardware but are doing a proprietary thing, so. Maybe they'll see this as an example of what could what could happen if you do if you embrace the community and see what the community can help you do. Uh, hopefully, that's what happens. We'll see. Anyway, if you learn more about this, I'll have a link to the uh, Tech Republic article in the show notes below. Speaking of companies that make good hardware but are proprietary, and that's not cool. Uh, Nvidia has announced some new stuff. Uh, well, to be fair to Nvidia, previous episodes we talked about them open sourcing their documentation for their hardware, so that's cool. Uh, making it more accessible and easier for the Nuvo drivers to create um, software drivers or create drivers for their hardware for Linux users in the open source form, which is cool, but they're not doing it themselves, and it's kind of annoying. But at the same time, they're doing this, which is really cool too, so let's go to that. So the NVIDIA Ford 35.17 beta drivers are adding Vulkan and OpenGL Prime support. Now, this is really cool. It's in beta, just to clarify that again. But with this new driver comes finally a, a reasonable support for prime and multi-GPU uh, usage in, say, for a laptop, for example. So it has this driver has a new prime render offload implementation supported by Vulkan and OpenGL. This prime offloading is about using one GPU for display and having the actual rendering be done on a secondary GPU. 
So this is common in like high-end laptops where you have an, like an Intel integrated graphics with an NVIDIA GPU. So there's, that's pretty common these days, but you can, and sometimes we'd have, you'd want to switch, like they basically would allow you to switch back and forth, but the prime system allows you to have one do some part of the work and another one do the other part of the work, uh, which is really, really cool because it makes it a lot more, you know, more efficient and more powerful to have those kinds of laptops. So this NVIDIA prime render offload support will require some recent up, uh, commits from the Xorg server project. But unfortunately, that's not available just yet. So that's it's while it's still in beta, the Xorg stuff is also kind of in beta for this. However, that stuff will be available in 1.21 whenever that releases. But in the meantime, they've actually created some Ubuntu PPA that allows you to use the patched Xorg server with their uh, driver, their beta drivers. So it is an experimental thing if you want to try it out because it's both sides are beta. But if you want to try it out, I have a link to it in the show notes. So you can, and also might be worth noting that there's also some like xorg.com uh, stuff that you need to mess with and that kind of thing. So anyway, I'll have a link in the show notes to this article as well as a Ferronics article about it as well. So uh, check those out in the show notes. So up next, we're going to do some housekeeping. And this is a segment that I'm just going to cover about things that are happening with the channel and with the show and that kind of thing, and just let you know about some certain things that are related to the show. So, for example, if you're not aware, there is an audio feed. You can subscribe to the MP3 audio feed by going to tuxedo.com slash thisweekinlinux, or you can just search it in your podcast app. Pretty much every podcast app, podcatcher, will have the show in the search results. If you have, if you're actually using one that doesn't have it in the social results, let me know because I do want to fix that because I'm pretty sure it's in all of them. It might not be, but it's even in like Spotify and stuff like that. That's not normally for podcasts. But anyway, also there is a segment index. If you're not aware what that is, this is a section of the video description as well as the MP3 uh, in a different way though. But in the video description, if you scroll down, you'll see some timestamps for each of the topics that is covered in this show. And you can skip around to whatever you want to talk about or whatever you want to see. And you can do it also, like, if you want to watch a couple segments today and a couple segments tomorrow, you can come back and easily get to where you want to go. And it's it works great, and I hope you enjoy it because it allows you to watch whatever part of, you, part of the show you want and at your own pace. So I hope you appreciate that. And uh, it's also in the MP3 audio version in a bookmarks or a chapter section. So depending on how your podcast app works, the you know the stuff's in there. You can you can jump through that as well. Also, if you'd like to become a patron, I would very much appreciate that. You could actually support the channel and help make this channel grow and help me make uh, more content on the channel as well as continue to make this show because it does take quite a bit of time. If you're if you're not aware, making a podcast weekly is a lot of work. In fact, it's about 20 hours a week. So it's almost, it's like half a, a full-time job just to make this show. So if you are willing to and able to, please uh, consider becoming a patron. You can do so by going to tuxdigital.com slash Patreon or tuxdigital.com slash sponsors to find out more. Now, there's also perks and rewards by becoming a patron. So you can get access to or access to patron-only content as well as getting access to early, there's different shows and different content I make early than everybody else. Uh, so the, all that's available as well. And many more things. You can check out what's in the tiers in the different pages if you go to tuxdigital.com slash sponsors and tuxdigital.com slash Patreon to find out more. Also, have you heard about the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt? This is a t-shirt that I designed that celebrates the proliferation of Linux. 
The concept of the design has Tux blended into the background to convey the message, even if you aren't aware that Linux is there, it probably is. This shirt is available from sh for shipping from North America and in Europe. So if you go to tuxedo.com slash Linux is everywhere, you can get shipping inside of North America. And if you go to tuxedo.com slash Linux everywhere EU, you can get shipping inside of Europe. Now this, this, this shirt supports the channel and this show, as well as is just an awesome shirt. I mean, I like it anyway. So I hope you do as well. And if you're interested, check the links in the description. Uh, or if you remember them, that works too. Did you know that there's also another great podcast that I'm a part of called Destination Linux? This is a great podcast because it is a discussion podcast where it sometimes relates to the news and just gen Linux in general. Like, for example, this week we had interviews with both uh, Dalton Durst of UbiPorts and Simon Steinbeis of XFCE. And they were both great interviews. They're both they're worth checking out. And they're in the same episode. So double awesome content for that episode as well. And we also talked specifically about Dalton because in earlier in the show, I talked about Ubuntu Touch. We actually had an in-depth interview with Dalton about Ubuntu Touch, and I think it's definitely worth checking out. So uh, check out Destination Linux episode 135 to get all that content and more. So you can subscribe by going to destinationlinux.org. Up next in the show is a really cool app that I want to talk about, and that is Core Control. So there's a lot of really great things about AMD hardware for Linux users, such as having really good Linux performance, being reasonably priced, and not having to worry about you know proprietary drivers most of the time when you're using AMD hardware, and still having really great like gaming experiences and stuff like that. But one of the things that it doesn't do that well is having a control center or an application to set it, uh, change your settings for your Radeon cards and stuff like that. And um, unfortunately, it's been it's been somewhat ignored by AMD. They they haven't really put much effort into this part, even though it's really really highly requested. Um, but thankfully, a community member, Juan Palacios, sorry if I said your name wrong, he was apparently uh, annoyed by that enough to make his own version of Radeon settings that for the AMD graphics cards in Linux. And he also released it publicly and is available on GitLab. So in the video version, you can check out the uh, the pro uh, profile controls view uh, screenshot for this particular application. It has a lot of cool features and I am totally excited to try this out. I haven't tried it yet because I just recently saw it. It was actually just recently announced to the public on the AMD subreddit uh, just this week. So yeah, you might, you know, there, I, I can't really make any guarantees or promises about this the software, but I have high hopes for it. So uh, I do look forward to checking it out. Uh, so what this has is it's a very similar layout in uh, Core Control that, that has to um, similar to the way that Windows, the version of Windows of Radeon Settings panel system works. It even allows you to customize on a per app and per game basis, which is very nice. So that's that's a very useful thing. Then you even it even includes Windows games that I don't, I'm not. I guess it maybe does it through Proton or something. I'm not sure how they do that, but uh, I assume that or maybe Wine. Uh, but one of the most really one of the most common requests for this kind of feature is having a robust fan control system or settings to control that stuff, and that is also included in Core Control. So if you are an AMD user and you want to have an application like this, this might be the one for you. So I have a link to Core Control in the show notes below. 
And another application I wanted to talk about is Raccoon. This is an APK downloader for Linux. This is very interesting. Now, I have to also let you know I didn't try this one yet either, but it has potential. Uh, that's why I'm putting it on the show because I just recently found out that this existed and they had an update, so I wanted to cover this anyway. Uh, so Raccoon is an open source uh, tool to download APK fi uh, files from the Google Play Store. Now, there's a lot of reasons you might want this for having access to applications that are no longer accessible, uh, for whatever reason, or having access to the applications or the APKs that you can have store, you can store them uh, on your own devices, or you can have a thing where you don't want to use the Google Play services and you want to have them on a phone. That uh, that I mean, some some of these applications won't work without Google Play services, but some of them also might. So if you downloaded the files from Google Play and then put them on a phone that didn't have Google Play services, you might find that some of them work. So there might be another reason for that. So you can have, you can remove yourself as much as possible from the Google aspects of the Android system, which is a really cool thing to have. I've actually had people ask me, like, how do you get APKs uh, from the Google Play Store? And I don't know. But now I can say Raccoon. So there you go. So if you'd like to learn more about this, uh, I'll have a link to this uh, this website for Raccoon and the APK downloader in the show notes below. Up next in the show is an application I have used before, and this is Natifier. Natifier 7.7.0 has been released. Now, the actual release version information is not that big of an issue because there's only a couple things in here. Like, for example, they added the ability to control the background color. They've made it the default of Electron support for 5.x, which is an improvement. Uh, but majority of the time, I just I just want to talk about Natifier anyway because uh, it's a really cool application that I have been using for a long time, and I, for some reason, forgot to tell people about it. So uh, Natifier is a command line tool that makes it e easy to create desktop applications for any website with a minimal configuration structure using um, really parameters of how you want to set things. You can have custom CSS. You can have custom JavaScript built into it. You can activate Flash support. You can do all this stuff. And it also even automatically retrieves the correct icon and app name. And it, these apps are wrapped inside of Electron. And they're uh, executable in basically any OS, or most OSs anyway. So it's supported on Linux, of course. Also Windows and Mac, if you use those. Really cool project. And I think that Natifier is definitely worth checking out if you have any purpose of having like an individual web app to be a desktop and you want that kind of thing. Natifier can provide that really well. I've used it for quite a few things and I think it's a pretty slick piece of software. So there you go. I should probably do a video on it because I do think it is pretty cool and I'll, and I'll do a video tutorial about how to use Natifier because it is, you know... It is an interesting thing, but it also has like a, a little barrier to entry as far as creating these uh, web apps because it's not a GUI-based thing. Uh, but it's still, it's it's still pretty awesome. So if you want to, you know, before in the meantime, before I get the video out, if you want to go check it out, I have a link in the show notes below. Dale has announced some pretty cool stuff recently, and that is the XPS lineup of their their new XPS lineup is going to include a Linux-based laptop. Now they've done this before with the Project Sputnik. In fact, this is the ninth generation of the laptops in, for supporting Linux. Now it's also been a part of XPS as well as the Precision lineup and all this other stuff. So it's not like this is like the first time. This has actually been many times, and this is awesome because there's putting a lot more uh, emphasis on the Linux version from Dell. They still have a little bit of work to do because it's kind of hard to find them on their website 
if you if you're not if you don't even if you know what you want it's still kind of hard uh so this is hopefully they actually did talk about this that they're going to be improving that in the future and improving the web like making it easier to find them and that kind of thing on their site so that's great uh, but this particular uh, xps is the 7390 or the 7390 uh, developer edition xps and this is laptop is going to come with ubuntu 1804 lts it has uh, the uh, the it's going to feature the new 10th gen core u series processors based on the 14 nanometer comet lake uh, intel processors it's also going to have options for full hd which is 1080p or ultra hd what i'm pretty sure is 1440p and it's going to be up to 16 gigs of ram available as well as dual thunderbolt 3 connections this will also be uh, giving options for a quad core, core i5, 1021, no wait, 10210U. Sure, sure. The great code names right there. Great model names, man. Uh, la- this laptop will also be, get, be, be shipping on September 5th in the US. So if you order it now, you'll, you should be getting it pretty soon after that. Uh, Europe will also, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Europe and US, not just US. Uh, they also will be shipping a six core, core i7. 10710U will begin shipping in October. So if you want to gift that one, you'd have, you might you might want to wait for that. So if you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have a link to Barton George's uh, blog post about the new releases in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of Netrunner. If you haven't heard, Netrunner is a distribution. Ba- uh, they have actually multiple editions, and I'll get to the, like the details about that. But for this particular release of 19.08 is based on Debian. It's also codenamed Indigo. And it is based on Debian 10 stable release. So the the only issue with that is that Debian has a system where all the stable packages stay the same version for a very long time, usually a couple years or three years or so. And it's because they do this thing called uh, freezing. So after a, they have a freeze state point where whatever the package versions are at that time in you know that time period, it's frozen there until the next full release happens. Now, they also have testing and unstable branches. I, we talked about that in the previous episode where I talked about the unstable doesn't really mean unstable and the stable doesn't really mean stable. But anyway, you'll learn more about that. I have a link in the show notes to that segment about this topic. But moving on. Uh, so the packages are, are are fairly old-ish because the way that Debian works. Uh, and they've decided to make this an LTS version of Netrunner. They also have another version of Netrunner. Actually, two other ones. They have this one, the Netrunner. They have Netrunner Core, and they have Netrunner Rolling. Netrunner Core is very similar to the regular Netrunner, but it's more of a minimal install. However, it looks like it hasn't been updated in quite a while, so if you want the Debian version, probably should just use the regular one. Um, but if you want a, a, an Arch-based version, they actually have a Netrunner Rolling release. It's not directly based on Arch. It's based on Manjaro. So if you are interested in trying out Manjaro, but you want to have a really heavily customized Plasma experience inside of Manjaro, maybe check out Netrunner because that's kind of what it is. They also have a different... They, they do different things as well on top of that. It's not just like a Manjaro clone or anything, but they do use it as a base. Uh, but there's they actually do a lot of customizations for Plasma, with a few things that I think are really good ideas. Uh, so first of all, they have replaced the the default kickoff menu, which I don't really like anyway, but uh, they replaced it with a simple menu and a dash. Uh, the simple menu is pretty nice, uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, if they also replaced uh, the task manager system with an, a different one, they also have, well, by the way, you can do these things yourselves. There's simple menus available in the KDE store. You can actually just right click 
and then go to alter- go to show alternatives on the right click menu and then it'll have like get new alternatives or get new menus or whatever and you can just get them right from there uh, so it's really cool that you can do that in plasma but you know you'd have to know that you can do that so you can but they did this for you because some of the defaults in plasma are not the best in fact i don't really like a lot of them they fixed quite a few here too though uh, but they also changed the theme engine to Cavantum. That's not really necessary, but it's really nice when they do it because there's some, there's some benefits to Cavantum, uh, extra features and stuff. They also simplify the, sim- the system settings by putting all the customizations under Plasma Tweaks. So they've just made it more simple. I mean, it's still system settings. There's still quite a few things, but they actually have improved some of it that way because, you know, system settings, system settings is a beast to a lot of people. So actually most people, even me, even though I use it all the time, it, yes, it is. They've also changed it to double click instead of single click because, uh, of course, for some reason, the default in Plasma is single click. I don't know why. I uh, uh, Why? Anyway, I'm a fan of Plasma. Not a fan of that because not. I'm not saying single click itself. Let's be, let's be more specific about this. They found it important enough to put it in their release notes and their description about what Netrunner is and the reason is because single click might be good for some people it might be good for you even you you might love it and compare it saying that double click doesn't make any sense but the default being single click is very weird because there are millions of people who are not expecting that to be the default and it's going to confuse them very much so having that as the default it's just not a good idea. Whether you like it or not, if you like it, use it, but it shouldn't be default. Moving on from that tangent. Anyway, they also have Quake by default, which is cool because console is a great terminal emulator and so is Quake. but Quake also has a drop-down terminal. Actually, actually, what's the purpose of it? And I use Quake all the time. So it's really cool to see that as a default option in Netrunner. So I actually, I haven't tried Netrunner myself personally, but I do want to. I think it's really cool. I do. It has a lot of potential and I look forward to trying out this this release. Uh, I might try the rolling one. I might try the new one. I don't know. I might try both. Who knows? Uh, Netrunner is also made by Blue Systems. This is a project made by Blue Systems and they also make a lot of other cool stuff, including the Calamari's installer that a lot of distros use. So, you know, thanks to Blue Systems for all the work you do because there's quite a few things that they do and it's really awesome. Uh, they even contribute to KDE directly. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about Netrunner, I'll have a link to the, the 19.8 release notes in the show notes below. Up next in the show is an interesting distribution, and that is EasyOS 2.1 has been released. So EasyOS is an experimental Linux distribution which uses many technologies and package formats pioneered by Puppy Linux. Now, it's also worth noting that Barry K or Barry Collier, Barry Collier, not sure, sorry, uh, he also is the guy who started Puppy Linux and is now working on EasyOS. So this is an is really interesting because the distribution has a custom container technology called Easy Containers, which can run applications or even entire desktop environments inside of a container, which is very interesting. There's uh, there's also this particular release of 2.1 has uh, decided to use package, packages from Debian 10 Buster. Now version 2.0 was actually a beta quality, 
So it's kind of weird that the first stable release or official release of it is a 2.1, but you know, whatever, just worth letting you know it is available as a testing thing. It is still experimental. So keep that in mind. It's still experimental. Uh, but it's, it's not as, it's not as experimental as it used, as it was brought prior to this. So there you go. Uh, the main feature of easy buster is that it's built on Debian 10, uh, 10 buster Debs using the wolf Q, which is a fork of the wolf two package tools. Uh, so, uh, the, the container system, you can take easy containers is a really interesting idea of being able to do all that stuff inside of containers in a very lightweight distribution so i am interested in see what happens with this distribution i don't like the fact that it's called easy os because it implies stuff that's not necessarily true and because people are going to look at easy os and go oh well it must be easy it's not it's not really meant for the average user it's not meant for the, br the brand new user from windows moving over to linux and then using that uh, same thing with puppy true too is it's not really meant for that puppy is really cool and EasyOS seems to be also really cool for what they're trying to do, uh, but for different reasons, uh, especially like the the layered file system that Puppy has. That's really cool too. Um, but it's not really like Easy OS is probably not the best idea for that. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about EasyOS, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel and this podcast, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And just a reminder, there's also a lot of this particular last episode, episode 135, has a lot of great content, so don't, don't miss that one. And also the next episode, 136, which will be released tomorrow, uh, technically, uh, tomorrow so that will be awesome and it has zeb's return as the co-host of the podcast so check that out as well anyway thanks again for watching i'm michael tonell with tux digital and as always keep using learning and enjoying linux